You're listening to The Cultured Podcast, a weekly conversation hosted by me, Michelle Corey, that breaks down the barriers surrounding art, theater, travel, and more to serve a digestible dose of culture for all. Buenos dias! I am so excited, y'all. Today on The Cultured Podcast, we have our first ever Latina guest, and I just feel like it's Latina heaven over here. Very excited because today we are talking to Monica Campana, or Monica Campana, depending on how you pronounce it, the right way. Monica is the executive director of Living Walls, a City Speaks, which is a public arts organization here in Atlanta that has global reach. We're going to be talking a little bit more about that later. She's also a curator for a new gallery in town. Also talking about that later. And she's just a household name in the global public arts community. So I'm very interested to dive into the concept of public arts with you guys today and explore why communities need art in accessible places. But first, we're going to talk about what's inspiring me this week. And, you know, I wouldn't call it an inspiration as much as I would just a general thought. Time, the concept of time is really tripping me out, and it often does because, you know, if you think about what people accomplished in a certain amount of time, even just 50 years ago versus what we squeeze into every second and minute nowadays, it's a pretty jaw-dropping shift in our perception of what time is and how it functions our daily cycle, how long it takes for the earth to go around the sun uh, is actually getting shorter as we move on. I mean, it takes thousands of years. And yet I would venture to say that technology is making every minute shorter for us um, as we go along. And I think it's really interesting that we've built all of these technologies, apps, uh, systems for efficiency to make our lives easier. But I would dare to say it's actually made our lives more complex and it's made every second of every day jam-packed with things to do. And, you know, I'm, I am definitely a victim to this. Every minute of my day is scheduled out and I don't exist without my calendar, Google Calendar, because I sold my soul to Google a long time ago. But I don't know that that's a good thing, or maybe it's just a new way of doing things. Anyway, I want to hear your thoughts. Um, I want to hear what you think about time and how you struggle and or appreciate the with a struggle with and or appreciate these developments that have made our lives easier, more complex, whatever you think. So drop me a line on all the socials, Cultured Podcast, on Twitter, Cultured Pod. And don't forget that you can actually submit your inspiration on culturedpodcast.com. So visit the website and you can actually click the button and record your inspiration. And then I can send you a little love note in response. Yay! All right, without further ado, let's get to it. Talking to Monica Campana. Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Welcome. Thank you for having me here. I'm excited to dig into the concept of public arts because I think, you know, it's something that a lot of people who aren't in that world can take for granted. You know, you see a mural, you see a sculpture in a park, and you're like, that's pretty, and you move on with your life. But I don't think a lot of people realize just the amount of work it takes to actually make that piece of work happen. So first and foremost, tell us a little bit about what you do with Living Walls. 
So about seven years ago, I started this project called Living Walls. Really didn't know what I was doing when I started it, but this was my way to to connect with the community that I lived in. I've been an artist my whole life, but I never really found a home or a place I could call home, especially after I moved to this country. And public art was the thing, the connection, the it was a really weird feeling when I started to do this kind of work. And I was like, okay, I actually feel like I can, too, have a voice in the place I was living in. Yeah. Uh, and so I started at Leaving Walls because I knew that this concept, this, we'll call it a thing, because it was just a feeling more than a project. I didn't really have an idea of what I was going to do with it. I knew that, you know, public art was really powerful and I, and I wanted to do more with it and let people experience it in the way that I was experiencing it. We don't usually think about the amount of time that we spend traveling our streets, walking down our neighborhood without really knowing where we are or the people that we're not meeting. We spend a lot of time in our cars. And you were talking about technology earlier. I feel like we're constantly just living in our own bubbles, Mm -hmm. uh, whether it is through social media or work or whatever. And it's not like back in the day, you know, where you had to go to someone's house unannounced without calling them on their phone to let them know that you were there or you were actually walking or taking more maybe public transportation because no one had that many cars. With that said, you know, we're so disconnected with our surroundings that it is important for us, for not just as community members or artists, but for cities, for city planners, for people in government to pay attention to what is it that we can do to get people involved, to to get to know their communities, to connect them with each other. And public art does that very well. I started it, again, as an artist um, that was just looking for a way to connect with my city. And Living Walls is like the expanded version of that, where we're not just creating art for uh, the people, for the artists, or for the people in the team, you know, to connect with the city, but to inspire communities or to inspire cities to invest in places that will create conversations about communities. So in many ways, public art is, yes, it's, you know, pretty art that you see on the streets, but it's, um, I call it in many ways, it's an excuse for people to look at their communities in a different way and to feel like they can also say something about what's happening in their in their community. To stop and have a moment of presence where yeah. in the process of stopping, lifting your head from your phone or from the person right next to you, from your bubble, you're taking in this piece of art, but you're also sort of now presently in the moment, you know, taking in your surroundings. Yeah. Why do you think that's important? Well, it is important to feel connected to the place that you live in, right? I'm always saying, I mean, if you don't if you don't really know your neighbor, if you don't really care for the place that you're in, then what's the point of living there? You know, how can you invest in that place? How can you really feel happy being in a in a city neighborhood community where you have no investment in? To me it's like, you know, yeah, it's that moment of pause where you look at art but You take it not just from a wall or from a sculpture, you know, from the artwork that you're seeing, but you're taking it next to it and you start to humanize that work and you start to have a dialogue with other people about it. And that turns into something else and that starts to build connections with the person that you're talking to or with the 
place that it's in, it is really important to to create those connections and also to use that art as a way to represent communities or celebrate communities. I mean, public art is, you know, you can talk about, I mean, really big, expensive uh, sculpture pieces like the Bean that's in Chicago or, you know, just things like what Living Walls is doing, which is so much smaller in scale, but in many ways they're both accomplishing the same thing, right? They're creating a dialogue, they're creating landmarks in their communities. Maybe one is way bigger than the other, but it also adds to an identity of a place, Mm -hmm. you know? It's more than seeing just a building. Uh, It's more than just having a group of city planners create a a city just, you know, for a... For function. For function, exactly. It's uh, humanizing spaces. That's beautiful. Beautifully put. Um, So logistically, you guys do a lot as Living Walls, the actual organization. You have an annual conference. For the most part, it's an annual conference. And I want to talk a little bit about what that means because, you know, it's not the conference people are thinking of. Uh, But first of all, can you break down just all the different facets that you participate in? Well, it goes from selection of artists, um, selection of the communities we want to work with, the walls that we want to paint. All of that, I mean, sometimes one can come before the other. There's never like an order. Sometimes it's... For example, what we did last year, uh, we knew the community that we wanted to work in, and based on the community, we selected the artists. And based on the artists, and we started to look at the locations and walls that will be best fit for the artists. So it's all in it's all a curatorial process. In that process, we take representation, um, identity, um, race, gender of the artist, like location. We take all of those things into consideration because we want to make sure that the end result is going to be representative of the space that we're working in. Also, community is the biggest, aside from, you know, the curated part, which is like the artist community and the actual physical place where we're going to paint on. The community has the other big, um, the other half of this. We have to be you know, very uh, mindful of the people that we want to work with and very respectful of their time and respectful of the curatorial process too on how, what artist is going to be working with what community group. And then we, once we have, you know, community groups, artists, location, walls, we have them all talk. Actually, my mentor will say that you're in many ways you're making soup, right? Mm-hmm. You're getting all of the ingredients together and putting it in a pot. But before you get to that, you have to be very careful in selecting everyone that's going to be a part of it because you want for everyone to marry beautifully with a lot of like honor and respect with each, for each other. So the end result is something a delicious wanted soup. It. A delicious <laughs> soup. I know it sounds really weird to compare it to that, but no, that sounds great. I'm time. thinking of an ajiaco, you know, like a something like perfect that. Ajiaco. Yeah. But then, you know, we, um, our community process is the, what takes the longest. We spent about six months last year with artists and community and city government talking with each other to develop the mural ideas that we were going to paint. And in that process, I mean, you can attempt to have a list of like all the things, a checklist, right? But you're never going to know exactly what that end result is going to be because communities are very diverse. Artists, people, like the connection that you find in those months of work with each other, like it could shift in so many different ways. 
So you just kind of have to let it uh, breathe and live in its own way. Well, I mean, you are, it is, these are public spaces, you know, these are community projects. So it's good that you're not ignoring the fundamental part of that, which is community. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And like, you know, you're not, I don't think that in all of this process, I feel like as a as a curator um, and as an artist, you have to go in with a lot of humility. You know, I don't think that we're expecting that we will be able to talk to everybody or that everyone's going to like what we're doing. Um, you know, it is public art, so it's very tricky. Mm-hmm. I've always said that it's public art is so difficult because it is for the public and the public is actually very private because everyone has their own ideas when they go into their into their homes, right? So to get a consensus on the work that you're doing is very difficult. And sometimes you have a ton of pushback. I mean, even just I'm always appalled to kind of talk to you about the bureaucracy that you have to be involved in, Mm -hmm. you know, which is interesting because it's sort of normalized now that our public spaces aren't uh, really for the public to use as they wish. There's so much there's so many rules surrounding our public spaces. And in fact, my family in Colombia are always kind of like, you guys aren't as free as you think you are in the U.S. Yeah. because we can go set up a party in a park and and nobody will stop us. You need like to buy permits or pay for licenses to even just have like a birthday party in a park. So along the same lines, you and your team have to, I would say, battle bureaucracy a lot of the time. What is that like? Being an artist, you're not initially Mm -hmm. set up for the bureaucratic BS, you know? I mean, I've been doing this for so long, um, and I started not knowing what I was doing. Uh, So it's been a a big learning experience on how to navigate everything that that this kind of project involves from, you know, artist community and also city government. Mm -hmm. In many ways, you know, you have to learn politics, I don't know. I mean, it's like anything else. It's it wasn't fun. At some point, you kind of learn it, and then you have a, a process on how you're gonna connect with people or get to what you need in a faster manner. But I I think that um, I mean, regulating art is really tricky, right? Mm-hmm. Um, don't necessarily agree with censoring or having anyone that has no idea what, has never taken an art class in their life, you know, start to talk about what is good or not. (laughs) But I do think that in many ways, you know, some regulations are important. Like, just like public art, we have another big monster, (laughs) a bad one that we see in our public spaces in this advertisement. Mm. And I do think that there should be regulations for that. You know, some artists also get hired to paint advertisements, which is great. You know, people should get paid for the work that they do, but big companies should pay more money for that. That's such an interesting point. That's another thing that we sort of normalize. Yeah. And it's becoming more and more a part of our everyday environment. Like experiential marketing is now a thing where it's woven into our everyday lives. And I never even thought about the fact that there is so much money placed toward advertisements in our physical environments versus mm-hmm. actual art and it's expression. Yeah, I mean, you get 
you see advertisement even in your skies. Everywhere, you're going to see something selling you <clears throat> or influencing you to do something without you knowing it. Because, again, the whole concept of being in your car and not paying attention to what's around you. But you are receiving a lot of information. And a lot of that comes in the form of advertisement. So, you know, I have my, my thoughts on how public art should or should not be regulated. Um, I also have my thoughts on, you know, how advertisement should be regulated or, you know, how historic sites should be protected. Um, <laughs> Amen. But I think, you know, city government should be very careful on how they create rules that are mostly affecting artists, uh, especially when they're affecting people that are not getting any support from the city when it comes down to, like, funding. Because, you know, it's not the same <laughs> as putting a giant billboard or it's not a big corporation, it's an artist. And you yeah. have to go through so many more hurdles than advertisers. Yeah. So Probably, many more. Yeah, because they can just pay a fee and then, you know, which is not even that much. Yeah. When we started at Living Walls, uh, Blackie, who's my co-founder and I, we were looking at this tax that was passed in Toronto that was inspired by the beautiful city tax act from forgot the city in brazil uh but pretty much these people in toronto uh fought to add a tax to big companies that were creating a certain size of billboards and that extra tax will go directly into funding public art so like and we were like looking into how can we push something like that I don't know. This was a big Why idea. Why is Canada maybe. the greatest? <clears throat> I mean, there's now there's other places that have it. You know, I mean, Philadelphia has a great um, tax that goes into the arts. It's not just public art. But this is why they're they a city that has, you know, like really incredible sculptures, you mm-hmm. know, around their city hall. I mean, I think that there's ways, right? I mean, sure, let's go through all of this paperwork, but if it's also a government that is supporting or figuring out ways for everyone to have maybe an equal chance to, you know, put art or put something visually appealing on the public space. Then. So here's kind of a curveball question, maybe. Maybe there's a simple answer. But what? how do you define public art? I mean, anything that could be considered art on your public space. Uh, Is graffiti public art? Um, yeah, I think that, I mean, graffiti artists are artists, right? Um, it's just... Uh, maybe like a different mission behind right. them. I always say that there could not be any street art without any graffiti. Mm-hmm. Muralism to me is a little bit different. You know, started way earlier. Started for different reasons. It was much more political. If you look at the murals that were happening, like Diego Rivera murals, they definitely had something else I wanted to say. You know, but graffiti was an act. At some points, I call it a sport, but it's like an art sport. Yeah, um, that's a cool way to look at it. I mean, because there's like other things that a graffiti writer has to do to get to what they want to paint. But, you know, it was in many ways done as a form of defiance, you know, and as a form of people saying we are here, too. And right. where it started, you know, graffiti did not start in Florida, you know, it started in New York. It started in a place that was going through, like, bankruptcy, like, at the, not the greatest time in New York, late 70s, early 80s, and in Philly, you know, places where people needed to say, you know, we're not forgotten, 
we're here to here's her name and that was that was the art um and then street art was you know the art school kids taking that and like okay we can do it in the streets too mm-hmm. so what is a public art conference well the way that living walls has been doing it is a time where we gather a group of artists we have had in the past anywhere from you know, 24 artists to this last conference. We have no, actually, in one conference, I had 40 artists. Yeah. And after that, I was like, never again. That's too many of them. <laughs> That's a lot. Yeah. It was a lot of them. Um, but last year, we had nine artists, and that was a lot. But we had more time working in the, pro- in the project. Um, but it's usually, you know, a group of artists that we selected to work with to create murals. Uh, and at the same time, we have a series of events that speak for the project. So we hold lectures. Um, we hold like movie night tours. And we always end with a big um, celebration. Um, we have had like art shows slash shows. Last year, we had a big block party. Mm-hmm. So... Yeah, so it's not like a proper conference where you go get a badge and like you have all of these workshops to go through. But you do have like a series of events that happen in a matter of a week. I feel very lucky to have Living Walls in this city. Um, And, you know, I've been following you guys for years now and just amazed by what you've been able to do and sort of like this this force, just Mm -hmm. you at the helm and then supported by a ton of volunteers who are so passionate and who drive the mission forward, just volunteering their time. It's really amazing. Mm -hmm. And I think that speaks to the fact that people are passionate about Mm -hmm. seeing art around their walls. And it's funny because a lot of the areas that started out with graffiti or with not formalized murals like East Atlanta, where we're sitting right now, have now become almost like tourist attractions because of the street art and the murals. And so I... I really enjoy seeing that tide change. It's becoming a more mainstream concept. Speaking of which, I think it's a good segue to talk about your new role is as a curator for a gallery. It's called, appropriately, The Gallery by Wish, which is a streetwear boutique here in Atlanta. And it's contemporary focused. And it's actually the inaugural exhibition is coming up in a week. And that is a street that's the the exhibition is then and now with a street art photographer Martha Cooper. So talk to us a little bit about Martha Cooper's role in street art. Well, Martha is awesome. She's one of the most inspiring women I've ever met in my life. She's a photographer. She's been photographing since she was four years old. <laughs> she grew up in a family of photographers. Uh, her dad had a photo shop. Since, you know, she graduated high school, she's been traveling the world, taking photographs, but always very interested in different subcultures. Like at some point she was photographing tattoo artists in Tokyo in like the 1970s. And so that kind of was like, you know, when she she's from Philly. So when she moved to New York because she was trying to get well, she got a job with the New York Post and she fell into a time and a place that was very pivotal, right, Right. for graffiti. Like, she met the biggest graffiti writers, the legends, the people that started it, the culture and the style. What we know of graffiti right now and the the lettering, um, all of that comes from this group of people in New York, late 70s, early 80s. And Martha was there as the person documenting everything. 
and she knew that what she was doing, though it was very ephemeral, was um, collecting or documenting an art form that was going to become something really important for the rest of the world. And, and it did. I mean, graffiti is an art movement that happens in every country, mm-hmm. you know, and it's not just for a certain group of people. In many ways, I mean, when I talk to her, we talk about, you know, how we should be paying or giving the credit to graffiti as one of the biggest um, art movements in the world because that's what it's becoming, right? It's not like if you look at other art movements, you take any art history class, everything goes into like a time in a a specific place. And the beauty about graffiti is that it's absolutely everywhere. So, and it's just continuing to grow and grow. But yeah, Martha was there when it all was starting and she took... She did not just document this beginning of the culture. She did it in a way that was very specific to, you know, detail or very specific to capturing that grit and spirit that we were seeing with graffiti and with style and with hip hop and with MCs and break dancing. It was more than just taking a photograph of a new piece, you know, by Dondi. It was the whole process and what that specific piece meant for the city of New York at the time and the world because it was really like making waves around the world. And talk about humanizing. Yeah. There is this human aspect to it, to some of her photographs that capture the essence of the artists mm-hmm. and capture them as artists, not just vandals or street kids or whatever. These are artists. And, you know, she talks about how she didn't really realize the extent to the art until she met a kid that was doing graffiti and he was showing her his sketches Mm -hmm. and she was like whoa 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 there's a design component here and I also love how her story speaks to how symbiotic the arts can be where they can feed off of each other and there's this relationship of graffiti having existed and her photographs of it that documentation helping it to live forever because those pieces in her books Many of them, if not all of them, no longer exist. Mm -hmm. And so there is this sense of they are now further more art forms because they can now live forever through her art. Yeah, she's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So um, if you're in Atlanta and you're listening to this on the right week, you can come to the show opening on February 10th. And if not, you know. Well, it's going to be up for a whole month. Yeah. So February 10th through March 2nd. Yeah. You can stop by at any yeah. Anytime. That's amazing. And so speaking of which, this is, I believe, your first time being a gallery curator because yes. you've been a curator in public art for a very long time. But has that transition been going from the public arts realm into the gallery? Well, it's thinking differently, right? Because mm-hmm. there's a lot of different considerations that I don't have to apply to uh, when I'm working with a ga- with an artist that's going to be shown in a gallery. It's been fun. It's been a different pace. It's been a different way of curating and selecting artists and exploring new artists that before I couldn't work with because they're not artists that focus on, you know, the public space. Sure. Um, but it's, I mean, it's been a ton of fun. It's not just like w- curating for the gallery, but curating for Wish uh, because this gallery is a part of Wish and trying to figure out how can we attract to the audience that's at Wish but also, you know, attract the just 
the public? How can we connect the two of them? How can we create new conversations through the exhibits? How can we push boundaries through these exhibits and also pick the artists that we can support, that we are capable to support of right now to develop not just a cool exhibit, but a dialogue, something that lives longer. I'm really excited. This is different than what I've been doing for the past seven years. So I'm just running with it, having as much fun as possible. Yes, stressed out because it's a new thing, but yeah. I don't I don't think I've ever done any project without the stress. So right. I'm used to it, yeah. <laughs> used to it. I, yeah, but but now, it's nice yeah. to have a whole new challenge that takes you into a whole new realm of the arts. Yeah. It's also like letting me develop concepts with artists in a much deeper way. So where before, you know, it was like we're gonna, you know, do this one project. Now I'm actually I have to learn my the work that the artists have done in a much more extensive way. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome. Like I'm actually diving into their lives and really understanding why they're doing this. And as a curator, for me, this is finally I'm able to get to that one level where I can really dive deep into the work that I want to present. And it's pushing me to write. Um, I'm always saying that I'm not a good mm-hmm. writer. But now, you know, like I'm reading more, I'm writing more. And that's something that I couldn't do before. That's amazing. I'm excited. I mean, everything you do is super inspiring. So thank you for coming on the show today. I really appreciate you, what you do for not just the Latinx community here, but for the arts community and for the community in general to be able to experience self-expression and trigger that. So thank you for being on the show. Thank you for having me. be still how amazing is monica i love her i'm so so grateful that she came on the show today and i really hope that if you are in or near atlanta that you're able to make it over to the gallery by wish to see the show if you're listening to this after march 2nd or if you are not near atlanta then definitely check out some of martha cooper's work because it is stunning And if you want to learn more about what Monica does with Living Walls and with Wish ATL Gallery, with Oye Fest, which we didn't even get to talk about. I'm I'm sorry, I have to make these like two hour episodes because there's just so much to talk about. But she's doing some really amazing stuff with something called Oye Fest here in Atlanta. So if you want to check her out on all those different places, because she's got a lot going on, you can go to livingwallsatl.com. You can go to wishatl.com and click on the gallery tab and you can go to oyefest.com. Obvi, obvi, all these tasty links are going to be in the show notes. So head on over to culturedpodcast.com and it will be on the homepage for a week. If not, click on episodes, which is also where you can binge the latest episodes. What? All right, y'all. It has been lovely as always, sending you lots of love and inspiration. And as always, keep it classy, keep it curious, keep it cultured. I'm Michelle Corey. Dante Hodge is our producer. David Markowitz is our executive producer. The Cultured Podcast is a production of Zero Mile Media, made with love in Atlanta. You can listen to The Cultured Podcast at culturedpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Play, Stitcher, and anywhere else podcasts are found. Music